The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. What I want us to do tonight is to be able to hear from someone who's been kind of right in the midst of it, just like you guys are, who've been figuring out kind of how does ambition work day to day. What does it look like for, for me to apply this into my, into my space, into my reality? Well, as many of you know, we're in the midst of a financial crisis in a lot of ways. And I've asked Thomas Osborne, who's been uh, right kind of in the middle of one of, the, one of the big bank failures that we've heard, which is Washington Mutual. He's been a part of senior management with WAMU. And so he's been right in the midst of, uh, of uh, a lot of chaos, to say the least. And he's going to share a little bit about that tonight. And I want him to come share. Because as I have gotten to know Thomas, he's a guy that I always walk away inspired and challenged from. We've had times of our families getting together for dinner, not often enough. Uh, his wife has been involved in at Union, which is our church plant down there. But, but Thomas has been seeking for a long time to figure out, how, how do I run? Because God has called me into a corporate environment, but how do I do that to the glory of God? So I've asked him to come and share about his experience, to share kind of what he's learning about ambition, and then how God is speaking to him in the midst of it and teaching him in the midst of it. So will you welcome Thomas Osborne as he comes to share with us this evening? Where's that other mic, by the way? Oh, here we go. We're going to have a little conversation, a little sit-down, a little chat. Um, Thomas, why don't you start out? I, I just touched on a, on a little bit of the details, and I hopefully I didn't butcher them too much. But um, share with us just a little bit, kind of set the scene for us on, on what the last uh, year, 18 months has been like for you, and kind of what's been going on. What's been going on? What, tell us about your family a little bit, about kind of what you've done and what, how you were involved in at WAMU. Um, all right. So I've been at Washington Mutual for about the last six years. And before that, I was with Deloitte Consulting. Before that, I got an MBA in finance. Before that, I ran a coffee house that looked a lot similar to what I saw tonight, which is fun. Um, Washington Mutual for the last 18 months, uh, you know, has been in a lot of trouble. I mean, who, anybody here work for WAMU? Anybody here work for a bank? There's one, only two, one banker. Okay. Um, and buy your banking friends, seriously. They need Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I've been at Washington Mutual, like I said, for six years and knew for a long time that, that WAMU was potentially going to be in trouble. But I stayed at Washington Mutual for probably four key reasons. Um, number one, I, I liked the company. It was a great company. It had great values. It really aligned with the, the what I think a lot of the, is the best thing about Seattle. Um, in terms of fair, caring, human environment, but it was dynamic, it was driven, it was innovation, et cetera. Um, I like the people. I like my job. Um, I also feel like I was at Washington Mutual because um, I believe that my work is a ministry, um, and I believe that strongly. I think that I'm called by God to follow Jesus. It would be my view. But I think within that calling to follow Jesus, I have gifts and talents that I have to steward. And I steward those, um, I believe, at Washington Mutual part of the time. So when I go to work every day, I try to think of it as going into my ministry environment. And I think I'm pretty serious about that because my dad's a pastor. And I had a lot of guilt in my life because I went to work for this Fortune 500 company and made X amount of dollars a year. And he did kind of what was really holy, which was become a pastor. So anyway, I'm, I'm at WAMU, and I'm there for a reason. But I knew it was about time to leave. 
um, for a couple key points. Um, number one, uh, I need a sabbatical in my life because I've got a family and uh, I've got a three-year-old son and a wife who was pregnant at the time um, when the Washington Mutuals event went down with our son that will soon to be born, Ian. And I was thinking about leaving WAMU even before it went under, but I stayed. Um, so am I going in the right direction here? You're doing great. Okay. So um, I stayed at Washington Mutual um, even though I knew it was kind of going under because of the things I just said, but also because I felt like um, I had golden handcuffs on. So I was waiting. I, I think I'm a little lost in this, so ask me another uh, question. No, you're good. Well, share with it because you share with it. I guess I want you to share a little bit with the group because you just a, a, a little bit about your process as far as feeling like, yeah, my dad's a pastor, but there's a sense of like, of joy for you mm-hmm. in, in this in this banking environment, in this corporate environment. Share with us a little bit about that, that this really is a calling for you. Um, again, we've all been given talents and gifts and skills, and we want to play those out in whatever way makes sense. We want to bear fruit for the kingdom of God. If you're following Jesus, um, pretty soon you're going to come to a point where you say, okay, what does that mean for real? I, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to go to heaven, but what do I do with these things? And how do I, how do I make that work? And for me, it is very difficult for me to kind of play the evangelist role. I mean, I could try to hand out tracts and and lead people to Jesus that way, but it just doesn't work so well. But when I get into my environment, which is I love executive management, I love strategic planning, I love managing teams, I love working with people, um, the way I like to say it is that, you know, there's a director of an orchestra, and there's all these instruments, and they all have to, you have to find the right person to play the instrument, they've got to play the right note at the right time, and when that comes together, it's beautiful music. And that's what I feel like I am in my work environment, and again, um, that's what I feel like God's helped me to do. Now, the guilt that came into that for me, again, is what I said, that my dad is in, quote-unquote, full-time ministry. And when I grew up, because I had some leadership ability that people said, like, oh, you're going to be a pastor. And then I married a girl who was a great musician. And like, oh, that's perfect. She's going to be the worship leader, and you're going to be the pastor. Uh, um, a little two-for-one there. Exactly. And much to their chagrin, she became a lawyer, and I became an MBA, which was just anathema in our community. Um, but uh, and she's a uh, uh, she's a recovering lawyer, she says now, so she's back out of it. Um, sorry, is there any attorneys in the crowd? Uh, we're no. just gonna make everyone mad. Yeah. Hey, listen, this evening, listen. Tell us. So you're at. I mean, this is essentially you feel like this is where my gifts belong, and, mm-hmm. and and as I've talked about, you love it. There's a sense of like this is dynamic. It's engaging for me, and I know you. We I mentioned Kairos here before, and Thomas has been a part of Kairos for a long time, trying to figure out. Okay, how do I serve Jesus in this place? Wamu is a great fit, and yet, as you mentioned, things start breaking down a little bit. You start to get a sense that 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 something isn't right. And as I understand your story, there's something you call the beast that sort of starts kind of yeah. rearing its head. Um, so I was at Wamu, kind of happily, kind of thinking about it being ministry. But at the same time, I was burnt out. I'd been there for six years. I graduated from B-School, I guess, ten years ago now. And and the corporate world's hard. It's tiring. It's a slog. And one of the reasons it's a slog is because it's the world. Um, I feel a little bit like every day, even though you can like your job, you're still walking into the mud. And sometimes that mud gets more and more on you, right, to the point where you're not really moving freely anymore. And so because of that, Charity and I kind of cooked up this idea of going on sabbatical. 
but I was a little concerned to go on sabbatical for two key reasons. Number one, I had golden handcuffs at Washington Mutual. Um, for those of you in the corporate world, the more senior people have what's called a change or control agreement. Typically, it's a legal contract I had with the organization that if we were ever taken over through a hostile takeover, meaning one that we didn't choose, that they give me a big financial package. You've heard about some of these guys like AIG in the news, if anybody's followed any of the news. I had one of those, and it gave me security, but it also forced me to stay there. It's like corporations know what to do to keep you serving the man, even if I guess I am the man on some levels. But um, <laughs> there's a bigger man above me, trust me. Um, Anyway, so I had that piece going on. The other thing I had was what you referenced, was, which is what I call the beast. And the beast to me is my unchecked ambition. And here's how we tie this into the series you guys are talking about. We all have ambition. I think we all have good ambition and we all have bad ambition. Part of my bad ambition, if I'm just totally candid with you, and I've, I prepared a talk that this is part of called Discerning God's Will. I'm trying to pull snippets out, which is works sort of in Q&A. But the beast, um, again, is that unchecked ambition. And for me, it's the things that I'm ashamed of. And specifically, I'm ashamed of, you know, the fact that I like my job because it's prestigious. The fact that I like my job because I make a lot of money. The fact that I like my job because I get a lot of accolades in the community. A lot of people give me pats on the back. A lot of people want to, you know, kind of be your friend, quote unquote. Not your real friend, but kind of the hang on friend because you might get a job in your organization or whatever. And those things are real in a sense to me. And I'm embarrassed to say it, but they were real. And when I went through the WAMU downturn, that became even more real to me. Um, and the reason it became more real to me is kind of the tide went out. Warren Buffett has a great quote. He says, when the tide goes out, you'll know who's swimming naked. And um, he also said, and then so the economists played off that quote in 2006. And, uh, uh, and they said, you know, Warren Buffett said, when the tide goes out, you'll know who's swimming naked. And the last thing anybody wants to see is a naked banker. And that was right before the financial crisis. But what happened to me is I was surrounded by a bunch of naked bankers, and I kind of felt like one myself. And that's when I really started to see that thing called the beast, that unchecked ambition. And said biblically, if you want me to get scriptural, is the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And how those things were drivers for me and the reason I stayed at a company when I thought it might be time to leave. You, so often it feels like stuff comes our way and it's, it's not just one thing, but it's a lot of things. So in the mean, in the meantime, while things are going down, downhill at Wamu, there's more that's going on. And, and cause you mentioned a little bit of effort. What, what else is, share with us a little bit more about what is going on during this time. Um, so Sept- Wamu failed in September. And um, right about the same time my wife is seven months pregnant, we are out here um, in Seattle without any family support. Charity and I grew up four blocks apart and have pretty big families. We didn't know each other till late high school, college, because it's a big enough town where you don't know everybody. But we had that kind of support growing up. And we move out to Seattle because we love Seattle. I mean, it's... It, we, it sounds cheesy, but it's the landscape for our souls. It really is. And uh, so we've been here for seven years. We have these kids, and it's hard. I mean, anyone here have kids? You guys are mostly single, I think. Yeah, there you go. Well, anyway, when you get there, let me let me segue for a second. Two pieces of advice. When you get there, your parents mean a whole lot to you. Um, number two, your community means a huge amount to you. And we were struggling, um, honestly, with not enough child care support. We've had a bad, few bad child care providers. 
and Charity's seven months pregnant. I'm working, you know, going through this terrible situation at work. You know, the company's about to go under. All of the employees that work for me and around me are totally paranoid and freaking out. And my wife ends up having a antipartum, severe case of antipartum depression. And so I take her to the hospital because she is really in trouble. And this is a really talented woman who I love and is beautiful and great. And we didn't even notice this, right, because she's strong, she's bold. We're not, I'm not worried about her, but all of a sudden I am. And so I take her to the doctor and they say, oh, wow, she's in really bad shape. You need to be, you can't leave her alone. And so at the same time I'm supposed to go to work and face all these pressures, I had to, had to take off and go be with my wife, which is obviously more important, but it adds to the mix of complexity and stress. Well, I, I will uh, concur that uh, Cherry truly is talented, uh, amazing person, and, and yet you're finding you have more than enough you can handle at work. Things at home are not necessarily going real well and are concerning. I mean, there is that real sense of being stripped down, of being naked, and, and yet share with us a little bit how you begin to see sort of God at work in the midst of that. There, you weren't really as naked as you actually first thought. Because a lot of us, I think, come to that spot where we feel like things start to break down and we maybe begin to wonder, like, is God actually real? Is, or has God totally abandoned me? And yet what you discovered is that he began working kind of in the midst of, of kind of that dark moment. Yeah, you know, I'd love to be able to tell you with, with um, I guess, without sounding trite, but what I'm going to say is when the tide went out, and I lost a lot of money when Wamu went under, the stock went from... It was at 40 some dollars down to zero, right? And I didn't know if I had a job. And literally, we didn't know if we were going to get paid. I didn't even know if they were going to pay the expenses on my expense report. You know, and as a guy who, you know, I've got to take a $1,000 flight here or there, you're like, what's going on? And uh, so that happens, right? Charity is in very bad shape, as I mentioned. And we went into the mountains and because the doctor said, you can't leave her alone. So I left work and we went up to uh, somewhere over in uh, Suncadia, it's called. And we're just hanging out over there and um, felt like we should call our parents and just tell her what's going on. And so the tide's way out in my mind, and I feel really naked at this point in time. And we tell them, and within like a day or two, they call back and say, okay, we're going to come out. And they said, we're going to come out in four-week chunks um, back-to-back. So they were didn't see each other really for two months so that we can support you and be part of this. And so first big, as that tides out, first big boulder there is our family. Um, and it was huge to me. And, again, um, you don't really appreciate these things until you kind of go through a weak moment is my view because I have a sin of pride for sure, and, and I feel like I can do things on my own. I'm pretty confident, overly confident probably. And you don't really know that about yourself until those things you're confident in, which I thought was God, which is partly God, but it was also a big fat portfolio, it was a prestigious job, it was all those things I talked about with the beast. So the family showed up, and that's the first big rock when the tide came out that was valuable to me. Number two, friends that I'd sewed into over the last couple decades, one of the most important things in my life is my community. Um, I love people, and I think they are true wealth. Um, and so I've sewed into that for years, and it came back in such spades during that period because I got so many emails, so many phone calls. Naturally, this was a real public thing. It was all over the news. And uh, so people are calling me, how are you doing? How can I support you? And this is from my college group, from my grad school crew, from my, you know, the time when charities in law school, from on and on the list goes, from church, from work circles, all these different circles that we've been part of. And that really came back to say that here's another rock in my life. 
you know, something big has been taken away, but look what's still there, even though the tide went way out and kind of washed away the sandcastle that was Washington Mutual. The third key thing is my faith. And I think that, you know, you really love the word and the scripture when struggle happens. Um, for me, kind of the word is just dull. I go listen to a sermon, I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, but when you go through a real trial where you're stripped and you're bare and hurting, I think God's word can be so alive to you. And not always, by the way. I've had my times where that's not the case, but this time it really was, and it became so precious. Um, so those are three things that I knew were there. And, and the cheesy part is it was the things that you know are always there, faith and your family and, and, and your friends, your community. That's great. You, you share with us a little bit. You know, you, I appreciate first of all that you're just honest on ambition. You're honest in that sense of, yeah, I'd like to say that I'm following Jesus, and yet reality, there, maybe there were some other things that were in there that kind of under under fire sort of melted away. Uh, we share with us just a little bit about your background because I think part of this we think of this discipleship process is really one that that it, ma- it makes sense. We're all in this process, and some of kind of your background sort of led maybe perhaps even to areas of ambition, uh, this ambition that you feel like maybe wasn't the best. And I think for, I just, if you could share with us that a little bit of that, because I think a lot of us are at this place where we make sense. Like, we don't do things because, for no reason. We do things because of kind of what is kind of we've come out of and what God's pulling us into. And so maybe share, would you share with us a little bit about your guys' background? You mentioned you grew up four blocks, right? Yeah, four blocks apart. Um, I will tell you this story. I, I kind of fell in love with Charity partly because of her, her singing. And, uh, and she plays a bunch of instruments. But, so we used to play base, I used to play baseball in her next door neighbor's um, yard. And she says the reason she played piano was because there was this tall, skinny kid who always yelled at her when she struck out, which everyone in legend says was me. So um, we really grew up kind of close-knit. But... Uh, um, my background and why it um, impacted my kind of ambition in the negative way. Um, I, I grew up in a steel town um, called Sterling, Illinois. It was a little twin city. Steel, the steel industry went through what the banking industry has gone through recently. So in the 80s, um, global economic forces came in to, to really destroy what was kind of a really hall bearer of American industry, which was steel. And so I had a town of, uh, of 30,000 people roughly, and 4,600 of, of them worked at this steel mill in our town. So you can imagine how many people were involved in kind of the ecosystem, the financial ecosystem of this mill, almost everybody. Charity's dad worked there. My dad um, got radically saved uh, shortly after college and kind of quit his corporate job. He worked for General Electric. He was a computer programmer and kind of wanted to pursue a tent ministry because I think in his mind, the holy calling was full-time ministry, and he kind of wanted to move in that direction. So he goes from a computer programmer to a floor-covering installer because he had a lot more freedom. He could minister. He could do mission trips or whatever he wanted to do and kind of ended up starting a carpet store from that or a floor-covering store. And that went bust um, when the steel mill went under. So a steel mill went under. Charity's dad got laid off. She distinctly remembers being five years old, and they sold all her toys. And she was at this garage sale, and she, to this day, has this kind of traumatic memory of all those toys being bought by other kids and taken away. And it was because they were moving in a place where there wasn't enough room. Um, but it was just traumatic. And I was probably nine years old and lost our house, lost our new car. People had to bring food over to our house. I had to, like, get uh, free lunch, um, that kind of thing, free Salvation Army tees, which tasted terrible. But... Uh, 
Um, and so you're a kid who has to go to, goes from just a normal kid to a kid who has to go to the principal's office and get your little ticket for free lunch for the day. And that, and Charity had to do the same thing because half, probably two thirds of the town was in that boat. That put a seed in my heart of anxiety and fear as it relates to money. And I think that has led to this day still to some of this unchecked ambition. Well, or I should say the negative side of ambition. Ambition can be good or bad. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate, I guess I appreciate you being willing to share that with us because I think for a lot of us, there are these places where we might be operating out of places of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, again, it, it makes sense, and yet God wants to be able to speak into that, mm-hmm. uh, it, that we can be freed from that, that our past doesn't sort of define us, but our, what's going in the future, God's going to be able to do is His work. Mm-hmm. Um, would you share with us, kind of just as we begin to sort of wrap up, will you share some, some practicals? Mm-hmm. Um, as you've been sort of learning on, on what does it mean to, to check that ambition, uh, to guide that ambition. Um, share with us just what, what you're in the midst of learning and, and you've learned. Okay. Um, two key things then. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a verse that I've hidden in my heart. And I highly, if anyone who for sure wants to be in business, memorize this verse and try to live it out. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to attest what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So my, I'm about trying to make sure I don't conform to the pattern of this world. And what is the pattern of this world for me? I think I'm in a toxic environment where most of it is oriented towards what we call maximization of shareholder wealth. It's not about creating a better product for the world. It's not about saving the environment. They do all those things, but for the reason of maximizing shareholder wealth. And that's a cynical view, by the way. And there's a lot of people in there that, that aren't these corporate schmucks that the media would like to talk about sometimes. But at the end of the day, that's the system. And so I try not to conform to the pattern of that. How do I do that? Practically speaking, through the basics, doing stuff like groups like this. I get together with men every week to be held accountable and to say, here's where I'm at in my life. Hold me accountable to things. I do something called Kairos, which is for people that primarily business leaders that, that need kind of to understand a theology of what business is all about and how do we, how do we think through it. So how do I, as, a, as an executive, decide to lay off half my staff? You know, how do I do that in a righteous way? Um, well, how much is enough profit? That kind of thing. So I, I don't conform to the pattern of this world. You do that by being very thoughtful. But how would, how would Jesus do something? Um, first thing. The second thing is I think that ambition can be an idol in your life. And oftentimes that idol of ambition is going to be tied to something. A lot of times that's going to be money. I mean, money, they say the love of money is the root of all evil. I think there's truth to that. And one thing I do to make sure that that doesn't become an idol is I do two things. Give away my time because that my time is my ability to generate wealth. In in, in a kind of a creative class economy and being a, a, in my role, I don't do it with my hands. I do it with my mind, and that takes time. Um, so give away time. Serve at something like I'm doing right now. Um, number two, you give away money because that burnt that that kind of really chips away at that idol that could be in your life. And so I care about money. I want to make money. I, I'm going to be honest about that, but I don't want to do that in in, in, a, in a bad way. And so I give some away.